change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, there's a couple of shows that we have never been able to do that we have always wanted to do since we started way back in 2015. Tonight is one of them. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to the Grey Cup. I, They're back. They're back. I, I'm, I, my, my, the hand, hair on my arms is standing up just thinking about it. I watched some highlight videos. There was a highlight package on, uh, I believe it was TSN on, on the website. I watched it this morning before I went to work. And I got goosebumps. And I, I do my best, both on this show, in the writing I do for 3Down, anytime I talk about the CFL, anywhere online. I do my best to be objective. We've, we've called out the team on this show. When, when we have thought it necessary. We have praised the team on the show when we thought it was necessary. But at my core, I'm still a fan, just like you are. We're just we're just fans. We're just two guys that decided, hey, man, I like talking football with you. You like talking football with me. Why don't we do this and let everyone else listen in on our conversations? This is the most fun I've had. Like this year, like I, I've loved every show we've done. and But I think... And I think the, the people who listen can attest. This has been the most fun doing the show this year. And now we're talking about our team for the first time in the history of the show, making it to the Grey Cup. I, I just, I, I know we called it at the beginning of the year. I know that a lot of people said the Ticats would be good. They'd run away with the East. They'd probably get to, if not win the Grey Cup. It still doesn't feel real. You know what I mean? Like, the 15 wins, the they've lost once since August. They're blowing teams out left and right. It they they won this game 36 to 16, and it never even felt that cl- like it, at any point in this game on Sunday. Did you did you really feel that Edmonton was was a threat? Well, they the first quarter, you know, the Hamilton went up 13, so that was a great start. The Eskimos scored 13 in the second, so maybe I was feeling it might be a bit of a game by halftime. But after that, it was just, um, you know, the the Tigers only scored 13 points in the second half, but they allowed only three. So I I, I wasn't really scared, no, to answer your question. Uh, I felt like the Hamilton Tiger Cats had this wrapped up, you know, they the whole game. They, just from the beginning of the game to the end, they were uh, the dominant team. Has, has this been your favorite season? Like, I mean, it almost seems silly to ask just because obviously 15-3 and three, representing the East in the Grey Cup, but has this not been your favorite season of Ticats football maybe ever? Yeah, by far. You know, just the, the consistency of excellence has been tremendous to watch all season long. And, you know, Tiger Cat teams that we watched in the past since we've been doing this podcast have been an up and down, up and down type deal, um, but not this team. They they have been amazing all season long. So it's yeah, it's been my favorite year, um, you know, since those ninety eight, ninety nine teams. But I think it even it even topples that just because of the record. You know, undefeated at home, it's been tremendous. This is a question that we'll be able to answer more thoroughly next week. Should the Tie Cats prevail? in Sunday's Grey Cup against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But right now, is it possible that with a win on Sunday, that this team is not just the greatest Ticats team of all time, 
but maybe in the conversation as the greatest single season of any team in CFL history. That's that's a that's um, that's a tough question. I'd have to look at you know stats, uh, you know the season stats overall. Um, I know there's, I can't recall if there's been a, a team winning the Grey Cup with more than 16 wins on the season. Um, if it happened recently, then slap the, me in the face because I don't remember all, it. The, well, the only team I know, well, the only team that I'm aware of that won 16 games in the season was the 89 the Edmonton Eskimos, and they lost in the West Final. I yes. think 15 wins is the most a team's ever won a Grey Cup with. Okay. Well, I, 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 Flutie and the Stamps didn't get in early in the 90s with 15 and 3 and 1. I can't remember. But listen, it's got they got to be up there. They've been tremendous all season. Defense, offense has been dominant. Um, the explosive ways we're scoring touchdowns, the long passes. Um, I don't know if they're the best team ever, but but they're up there. So you you said that for you this game kind of turned and and you you think it ended in, in kind of the, that third quarter, where oddly enough the Ticats only scored five points, but Edmonton scored zero. Mm-hmm. And I'll agree. To me, this game. Wasn't I'll say it was decided, but I don't mean that in like the definitive sense that the game was over. But to me, the first eight minutes of this game set the tone for what this game would be. Edmonton turned over the ball twice on their first two drives, a Trevor Harris interception and a C.J. Gable fumble. The, the pick was made by Richard Leonard. The fumble was forced by Dylan Wynn, recovered by Frankie Williams. And that led to 10 Ticats points. But it was on the second drive, the one that resulted in a touchdown. The call to go for it on third and goal from the two mm-hmm. when in some I was case, worried. exactly the, the crowd. I don't know if you heard it on TV, but the crowd was screaming at him to go for it. And they did mm-hmm. that to me was Orlando Steinhauer coaching to win, not coaching, not to lose. And that to me is the epitome of what he's been all year going for two points as often as they did, even though they didn't do that at all in this one, but his, him being unafraid to make that gutsy call, to go with his gut. I mean, he he had the challenge on the pass interference call that we're in the stands going like, man, was that really was that really worth the challenge? But he got it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I believe that, that that drive resulted in a field goal. I think that was the drive that made it thirteen to nothing. But to me it was it was that call to go to send out the heavies, to send out David Watford and to go, We trust you to get two yards and to find the end zone. That to me set the tone for this game, and that that was when I, well, last week, uh, a, a listener put it out on Twitter. I wish I had the tweet handy. Said that I called that the Ticats would win this game by twenty, and they did. I I had no doubts that they would win this game, but it's a football game, and anything can happen. And and they get the interception. And I'm like, okay, this. I mean, they, their, their first drive, they they get to about midfield and they punt, and I'm like. All right, now let's see what Edmonton does. And then what was it, like maybe three plays later, Trevor Harris throws a pick, and it's like, okay. And they get a field goal. It's like, all right, three is better than nothing. I'll take it. Points are points. It's a playoff game. Everyone thinks it's going to be tough. The very next play, they get the fumble, and then they score a touchdown. And it's like that to me was like the, okay, I'm still into this, but I, I think this one's in the bag. Uh, what, what about you? What did you think of when when they they brought out the heavies and they're, they're going for it, gold to go, third down from the two-yard line? I like the call. Uh, I was worried since we're at the two yard line, you know, bringing in David Watford. Uh, I knew it was going to be, uh, you know, a quarterback run, probably off to the side, which it was. But I, I was scared because I thought maybe you should leave in Dane if you're at the two yard line. You know, if you're at the one, bring in David. I thought it might have been a little too predictable and they might have gotten the stop, but I was wrong. David powered into the end zone, turned out to be a great call. And you mentioned the uh, challenge of pass interference. I was worried about that one, too. I, I Two calls I thought were questionable early on, but turned out for the best. So we just count our blessings that I'm not the head coach because <laughs> you know I, I might have went a, a different way on those two. But they both worked out. You got to trust in Orlando. He knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I think that the Trevor Harris interception, I said to myself, yeah, it's not going to be so easy this week now, is it? Um, you know, we're not – the Montreal defense. This is a much better crew, much better players with a with a better coaching staff behind them. So, yeah, as soon as I saw that interception, I knew that Trevor Harris wasn't going to be throwing you know ninety plus percentage today. Yeah, you, you talked about Dane Evans, and 
I'm sure you you watched all the videos and saw all the press conferences that I did, and we heard all week Orlando Steinhauer say that Dane Evans would be who he was all season, and I think in this game that that proved to be true. The moment wasn't too big for him. I didn't think it would be, but a lot of people were wondering could he perform on on the big stage in his first professional playoff start. He didn't play scared. I, I didn't expect that he would, but some people were wondering maybe you know. Second-year guy making his first career playoff start, maybe he'll be a little skittish. And I thought Tommy Condell, who I think, for as much credit as he is getting, I still think he's not getting enough. He didn't call plays scared. He was not afraid to call the deep passes, to call the the, the throws to the wide side. I think the Ticats, in this game, in a game where, where the expectations and the pressure was all on them, I think they played exactly as they had played all season. I think they played exactly as they've played since Jeremiah Mazzoli went down. I think they proved on Sunday, and they're going to get a chance to prove it again next Sunday, that they're the best team in the CFL. And I, I think what we saw against Edmonton in the East Final showed that to the entire nation. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, Josh. And talking about Dane Evans' performance, it was really good. Um, the percentages were down a bit from his usual self. Uh, at one point, he was under 50% completions but you know he made up for that with long passes that gained massive yards so you know his percentages were down a little bit but he still threw for 386 yards and a touchdown so you know where where he lacked in uh, completing passes he made up for in long gains I felt yeah it was a lot of chunk yardage a lot of explosion plays and and I I think by the standard that we have for Dane Evans this was a kind of a middling mediocre ho-hum game from him and that's not to say that he wasn't good in spurts he, he very much was but you mentioned the the completion percentage 21 of 36 passing is like 55 percent ish yeah that's that well 58.3 58.3 well below his season average he was in the the like 71 72 percent mm-hmm. completion percentage and he just had the one touchdown the one interception now he led them on two other touchdown drives that were topped off by uh, david watford plunges but like, Dane Evans in this one, he, he didn't play like Trevor Harris did a week ago. But I think that this team is so good that he doesn't have to do stuff like that. Like, we talk about how great Harris was last week, and we all got to remember that as good as he was, they won by a touchdown. And I said last week that Edmonton kind of needed everything to go their way to win that game, and that this game would be a little bit different. And we saw adversity strike in the form of two early turnovers for them. And almost before they could blink, I think it was, what, eight minutes into the game, they're down 10 nothing. Now, to, to kind of go back to Dane, you, you mentioned that like those yards are off, like 386 yards to play the game, especially against a defense like Edmonton, who I believe it were the top passing defense in the CFL all season and had allowed a, like, I think it was something in the neighborhood of like 225 yards or so per game through the air. Dane Evans threw for 300 yards against, or, or I think he averaged like 326 against them in the three games he played. So clearly he was not afraid to go against them. And you look at the numbers and yeah, okay, he wasn't perfect. There, there were some issues there, but Dane Evans doesn't have to be perfect. And this was something that in my research for the show, I found out he has not played in a game that has been decided by fewer than 12 points since September 20th. This guy has gone over two months in the games he's played where the Ticats are just blowing teams out. Now, maybe 12 points isn't a blow, but that's a two-score game. If you're winning games by two scores, you're you're rolling. There, there's no comebacks. There's th- These guys are just out there steamrolling people offensively, defensively, and on special teams. So Dane Evans doesn't have to go 36 to 39 for 480. You know what I mean? Like He doesn't have to be what Trevor Harris was, and I think that that bodes well for the Ticats going into Sunday's Grey Cup. Yeah, and it's just a different offense. I mean, Trevor Harris in that game against Montreal didn't throw many passes over 15 yards. And, you know, it was a lot of quick passes, you know, short routes. And, uh, you know, give him credit, he had a great game. But it's just Dane Evans is sit sit back in the pocket and, uh, you know, he, he just goes deep more often. So comparing the two isn't, isn't really fair. Um, not that you were, but... Uh, you know, you want to touch on a little bit of the running game because I thought it would be a bigger factor than what it was in yesterday's game. Yeah, I was a little surprised. Like, 
obviously last week going into our show, we didn't know who the starter was going to be, and they opt to go with Cam Marshall. Just nine carries for 31 yards. He caught a couple of passes for 25. It was it was a little bit surprising to see them not go to the run game, and I kind of wonder if maybe that was part of the plan, if maybe they they – the opposition maybe thought, oh, the tight, it's, it's colder weather. It's time to run the football. You know, that sort of uh, old school axioms of football. And the Ticats just said, to hell with it. We're going to sling it. And, mm-hmm. and they did. It was I, – I don't think that this says anything about their ability to run the football. I think they just decided not to do it. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it's, it was clearly not a huge part of the game plan. You know, Cameron Marshall touched the ball nine times <clears throat> for 31 yards, 3.4-yard average. So, yeah, it's not that they can't run the ball. We all know that the offensive line can make holes for anybody who's back there. So maybe we'll see a different game plan next week uh, in the Grey Cup. Well, and it's not like Marshall didn't have an impact. He had that nice, like, 20-yard catch uh, mm-hmm. late in the game that, that he, you know, takes it to the inside, jukes by a guy, knocks a guy down, stiff arms someone else. Like, he was involved. He just wasn't as involved, I think, as everyone kind of expected him to be. Uh, you want to talk about the killer bees? Cause yeah. I mean, yeah, we, what more, what more do we have to say about these guys? Uh, they're the best duo in the group. We've said it or best two in the league. We've said it a lot this year, but it's, they keep producing, you know, between them, they racked up 230 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think we should talk about Brandon Banks first though. What a performance by him. Uh, at MOP performance, the, the guy who will be named, most outstanding player on Thursday at the CFL Awards. Four catches for an even 100 yards and a touchdown. And two of those four catches were out of this world. The The touchdown catch was not just a phenomenal catch. It was a phenomenal throw. Yeah. I don't know. And, and the thing is, it's not like they beat the defender. I don't think that that DB could have played that any better. It's just Evans put it in the perfect spot. Brandon Banks does what Brandon Banks does. It got me out of my seat. It was one of the play. Now I get out of my seat a lot at Ticats games. I'm not going to lie, but that was one of those ones where I literally turned to my friends and I'm going to self-censor here. And I said, I can't believe he freaking caught that. And I didn't say freaking. And it was, if, if I hadn't already been convinced that it was their day, that was that that's the play that would have solidified it for me. Yeah, he's he's been phenomenal all year. Like you mentioned, MOP, he's got to be it. Uh, he's just he's he's on a mission. He's he absolutely on a mission. Could, you can yep. feel that, right? Did you hear his, his post game comments? Like, if there's one guy who's going to will his team to a championship, it's Brandon Banks. Yeah, and I saw some idiots bringing up that he was in tears at the last <sighs> great cup. He said, Shut up! I mean, the guy was emotional. It's uh, that's how badly he wanted. It was to five win. years ago. Let it go. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, but Brandon Banks, I, I, you know, he finally has gotten his chance to play in another great cup. And in the last one, he was not playing receiver. He, he got in there. Uh, I, he scored a touchdown at receiver, he but he did. wasn't in. He wasn't in the regular package of receivers. He wasn't a starting receiver. This time he is. He's going to make a huge impact. I can't wait to watch it. And we got to talk about Braylon Addison, the other half of the Killer Bees. Um, another great game from him. He led the team in receiving yards with 130, um, an average of 18.6, a long of 48 yards. You know, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Braylon Addison, but he just keeps doing his thing. The only thing that these two guys did wrong was that really badly botched pitch wildcat right. handoff. Other than that, yeah. these two these yeah. two guys were out of this world. It's I hesitate to say unstoppable because no one is unstoppable. But these guys right now are playing at such a high level that they feel unstoppable. I mean, 11 – they combined for – you mentioned it – 11 catches for 230 yards and a touchdown. Dane Evans threw for 386, and 230 of those went to these two guys. They're, there's no doubt that these are the two best receivers on one team in the CFL. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it in my eyes. Uh, another receiver I'd like to mention was Anthony Coombs. You know, not many catches, but when he caught the ball, he made a difference – an average of 27 yards per catch. He made two catches for 54 yards. Uh, a little a bit surprised to see him contribute so much. And he was wide open on both. Yep. If, if he doesn't fall down on on the second catch that's in the middle of the field, he scores. 
he was there was no one within 10 yards of him on any side he would have taken it to the house he just happened to fall backwards and fall on his butt but he was wide open on both it was i don't know what they saw again this goes back to tommy condell and the offensive scheme just just a tremendous job finding a role for everybody and finding a way to to let them contribute it's it's been a beauty to watch yeah, but you, you know you can't talk about the offense without the offensive line. I thought they did a, a tremendous job yesterday. Only allowed one sack, and it seemed like Dane Evans had a ton of time back in the pocket. I agree. I think the chunk plays that they were allowed to get, the, those big twenty and thirty yard plus plays, are because of of the very little pressure that Evans was under. I think this offense. We 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 talked about it last week. Who do you trust more, Hamilton's offensive line? versus Edmonton's defensive line. Edmonton's defensive line came to play, and the Ticats thwarted them at, at every opportunity. If you go to the stat sheet, you see a guy like Kwaku Botang, one of the best pass rushers in the CFL, one tackle. You look for a name like Amondo Sewell, you won't find it. He's not on the stat sheet. They did everything they could to minimize Edmonton's... Very, like They tied for the league lead in sacks. They got one in this game, and it came not even from... A defensive lineman. It was Joe Von Santos Knox who got the sack, and it was on that that drive at the end of the half that I thought was actually a brilliant. This was another area where they get the ball with 30 seconds left, and Dane Evans marches him down the field into field goal territory, like like he's throwing against air. It was just pass after pass after pass that just that got him there, and then they had an opportunity to maybe make a play for the end zone, but they got the Eskimos brought pressure. They got the sack. Okay, it happens, but they still got a field goal out of it. I mean, the, the way this offensive line played, it's there's a reason why three of them are, are all-stars. And one of them's going to win most outstanding linemen. Yep, yep, they did. Uh, overall, the offense played uh, a great game. And obviously, by the score, it, it shows that. So, And that's a, one of the reasons why we're going to the Grey Cup. Uh, you want to jump to the defensive side of the ball now? In a second. It's weird to me about the offense. Like, I feel like... <laughs> As good as they played, they didn't play their best game, yet they still put 36 points on the board. I think that's just yeah. maybe it's just it's just the standard that we have for this offense this year where where there are like some lulls. Like they like you mentioned, they the entire second half, they only scored 13 points, they only scored five in the third quarter. It's it's weird to think like, man, they they won by twenty, but didn't really play their best game. Nope. The uh if you look at the game stats, you know, it's pretty pretty darn close you know it was yard yards the edmonton had 401 we had 436 they had more possession time by about seven minutes um you know they had more rushing yards etc etc but we just you know it, it doesn't always the stats don't always tell the story and this was one of the occasions all right let's let's flip over to the defensive side and this to me i i don't know how you feel but this to me was just it's there's no one player really to single out this was a complete unit effort here they forced four total turnovers two picks a fumble and one turnover on downs they got three sacks all from the defensive lineman teddy laurent jagarit davis julian hauser all had one each they hold cj gable to 55 yards on 15 carries they forced him into a fumble this was just you again you probably watched a lot of the same stuff in preparation for this game as i did and there was just all this talk of Players are out there. They're not trying to make plays for themselves. They're just, when your time comes, you make your play. And everyone, when their time came, made their play. I just thought this was a tremendous total defensive effort from the Ticats. Yeah, they, they shut down the, the Eskimos pretty, pretty good. Um, held Trevor Harris to only 70% of his passes. Uh, big stat was the two interceptions. Uh, you know, the, the turnovers really helped the Tiger Cats out. In this game, uh, let's see who got the interceptions here. Yes, Richard Leonard got one. That was the first one of the game. And then our boy Justin Tuggle got one, who has been stepping up um, a lot late he, in the season. So. He really has. He's a guy yeah. – I'm sure you got a lot of the same messages online that I did, wanting us to talk mm-hmm. about Justin Tuggle, wanting us to call him out because he hasn't been that good. I think he's been tremendous over the last month and a half. I think he has been – Look, Simone Lawrence is Simone Lawrence, but I think Justin Tuggle, it, over the last little while, has been neck and neck with Simone Lawrence. It's one of the most important players on this defense. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You know, they, the run defense was 
questionable at times this season, but they didn't give C.J. Gable anything. He only had 3.7-yard average. You know, a longest run was 13 yards. They forced that fumble on him. Um, Shaq Cooper didn't really get in the game. He only had one carry, which surprised me. So I thought it'd be a good, uh, you know, switch up from C.J. Gable to get some speed in there. But, yeah, I, I thought the linebackers did a great job shutting down the run and, and the defensive line. And I just want to give Richard Leonard another shout-out. For a guy that we were really hard on a year ago, I uh, thought he had a down season, he has had a quietly excellent year at the wide side halfback position, playing usually against the team's number one slot. I He had an interception in this one. I, I just think maybe it's it's Mark Washington, another guy that I don't think is getting enough credit for what he's done this year. Like the Ticats were the only team to allow fewer than 20 points per game. They played one playoff game. They've allowed 16. I, I'm kind of looking ahead here to the Grey Cup matchup. And it, to me, I'm not, I'm not really tipping my... I, I guess I am a little bit tipping my hat here. I think the Ticats are going to score 30 points every time they take the field. So the question is, when you, when you try to pick a winner in that game, do you think the opposition is going to score 31 and I don't think there's an offense in the CFL right now, let alone the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that can score 31 on this defense. Like, this is just, this is maybe the best defense I've ever seen from a Tiger Cats team. Yeah, it's definitely up there. It is definitely up there. We've had some good defense over the years. It's kind of the a trademark of, of Hamilton Tiger Cat football, having that, that uh, hard-nosed defensive football on the field. Um, but, yeah, it's been tremendous. Uh, I was a little worried, um, and I know this sounds ridiculous, about Delvin Bro because it's been hasn't been his best season. He's been injured a little bit, but uh, you know we didn't hear a lot from who was he, was he covering Devaris Daniels? Uh, not all the time. Like the touchdown the catch, time. the touchdown catch was uh, that was Cario Brooks that was on him for uh-huh. that one, and that that even that was just a missed tackle. You know what I mean? That's going to happen yeah. in a game yeah. every now and then. Uh, but no, I don't think he was on Daniels exclusively. I know he had a what, what did Bro have? I know he had a couple of tackles. I know he had at least one because I, I saw he had three tackles in this game. So I, 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 but I don't think that he was exclusively on Daniels. I think that they moved guys around to get them on Bro. And I mean, yeah. did you really, aside from the interception from Leonard and the the fumble recovery from Williams, you didn't really hear a ton about about any of the Ticats defenders because they were doing such a damn good job. Yeah. Yeah, they they all did. Uh, Adele K had a good game. Um, everybody in that secondary played their part and uh, did a great job. So, yeah, I, I was overwhelmed with. I am overwhelmed with how good this defense has been all season long. You know, we we go through all the names, but the defensive line is great. The linebackers are doing a great job. The secondary has been tremendous all season long. So I don't think there's a real weak spot on this defensive team. There really isn't. We probably have talked about Tunde Adelike, who is the East Division All-Star safety, and Rico Murray less than any other players on this team. And I think those two guys have had fantastic seasons. So that just tells you how good this defense has been when two of their better players, one of which is an All-Star, we, we're not even talking about. Speaking of All-Stars, Frankie Williams will get to some special teams here. Not a ton in the special teams to talk about, but I thought Frankie Williams had a couple of nice returns and just did the things that, that Frankie Williams does. Yep, uh, no big return for a touchdown or anything like that, but he's just been giving us good field position all season long. He's uh, he's great in the secondary, and he's great at returning punts and kicks. So he's uh, he's been uh, an asset all season long, and I guess we get to talk about Liram too for talking special team because he had a hell of a game. He he was fantastic. He's been fantastic for most of the season. Another guy that we were especially hard on a year ago, and look at him now. Like there's four for four on field goals, three for three on converts. He had the one the one punt that went for a single that I, I'm, he's probably wishing he had back, but it didn't really hurt in the grand scheme of things. His kickoffs have been good. His punting has been like there's. There's just nothing to complain about with Laram Hirelawu this year. Nope, definitely uh, earned his name back on this podcast. One hundred percent, because he's been great all season long in all three cat- uh, phases of kicking the football. So, yeah, really proud of him. And the special teams coverage, something we don't talk a ton about, I thought was also great, with the exception of 
on the first punt of the game that Liram pinned him inside the five. Jamal Roll, for, I don't know what he was thinking, just completely ignores the five-yard halo and tackles a guy like he's, he's yeah. right in his grill. I don't know what he was thinking on that. And I don't, I, they probably, I don't know if they showed it on TV, but being in the stands, as soon as he came off the field, it looked like Jeff Reinbold was uh, kind of ripping into him a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I was questioning that as well. Uh, maybe at a flashback to four down football. Uh, I, I have no idea. But uh, in the end, it didn't really hurt us that much. But uh, yeah, a bit of a a bit of a bozo play right there. Yeah, a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a brain fart. It happens. It, yeah. I, it's it's yeah. probably not the first time it's happened. He probably got to the sidelines and was was had uh, you know was told don't ever do that again. And was like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. All yeah. right. Potsky player of the week, Mike. Who, who do we got this week? Well, it's a familiar name in the Potsky player of the weeks this season and uh, previous seasons as well. But <clears throat> Braylon Addison had more yards, but we got to give it to Brandon Banks just for the sheer spectacular catches. Two of them he had in this game and the touchdown. Four receptions for 100 yards, uh, a 25-yard average, and a long of 47 yards with the touchdown. Our Potsky Player of the Week again is Brandon Banks. I mean, do we do we even have to pretend he's Potsky Player of the Year? Yeah, he is. He he's is. MLB, he's at the most. He's MVP. He's he's whatever M letter in the middle P you want to name. He is. He's just he's simply the best, and he will. Yep. He, he's the Potsky Player of the Week this year. He'll be the Potsky Player of the Year a week from now when we talk about it. And it wouldn't shock me if when we're sitting down next week to talk about this Grey Cup game that's coming up. If he's Grey Cup MVP too, yeah, I, that that would not shock me at all. But I'm going to throw my uh, uh, Mike Jones in there for uh, MVP of the game MVP. because I said he'd have a not most of, not most a, valuable Canadian. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Most most valuable Canadian. That that seems right. But uh, I predicted he'd have a big play. He did not have one in this game. So I'm looking uh, looking at next week's Grey Cup for him. How great would it be if he caught the game-winning touchdown? But, of course, it came in, like, the third quarter because Ty got yeah. run away with this. Anyway, uh, we have some news. This is a bit of a, a strange thing. But one of our favorites, Bakari Grant, officially announced his retirement. He signed a one-day contract with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He was in the house on Sunday, led the Oski Wee Wee cheer. It was great. We can talk about Bakari Grant to her blue in the face. He's been one of our favorites for a very long time. One of those guys who's... And I think I said this, uh, I believe I said, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was in a piece I did for three down, but he's one of those guys where the, the stat, the things that he w- he was able to do didn't always show up on the stat sheet. Um, I was watching, watching some highlights from a playoff game from years and years ago that we're going to talk about in a second and on a run by Avon Coburn, that's how long, long ago we're going back here. He throws a block that's or, – or was it Marcus Stigpen? I think it might have been Marcus Stigpen, actually. He, he's holding a block downfield that springs him for a touchdown. And it's those little things that Bakari Grant did that he was not afraid to get his nose dirty. It's one of those things that I'm going to most remember about him. But why don't we talk about sort of favorite moments? The man himself – I put it out on the, on, the, on the Potsky Twitter account asking fans what their favorite memories of Bakari Grant was as a Hamilton Tire Cat. Bakari answered himself and said that it was uh, after scoring a touchdown – in the inaugural Labor Day Classic at Tim Hortons Field, that after the game, his 11-day-old son was in the locker room with him, and they celebrated the victory. And, and I thought that that was super cool, not not only for him to to have that moment, but also for him to acknowledge that we're talking about him. Like, I thought that was pretty sweet, too. I put that out there. A lot of fans, you know, had sort of the same the – same, the, the, the first touchdown at Tim Hortons Field, hanging the ball to Bob Young, that was sort of – everyone's uh that was kind of the consensus favorite Picari grant moment uh there were a couple votes for uh him wearing an argo sucks t-shirt on the podium accepting the east final trophy in 2013 in toronto that was that was one that that was high up on my list but there's one son of a bitch out there oh wait it was you that stole (laughs) what i thought was an under the radar favorite Picari grant moment so you and i for maybe the first time ever, when when talking about something like this, had the exact same like we're, we're we're symbiotic in what we were thinking of here. So because you said it first, I'm gonna let you say what our collective favorite Bakari Grant moment was. Yeah, I saw the tweet and I started thinking about it, and you know the East semifinal in 2011, 
against the defending Grey Cup champions. Two Montreal time, Alec- two time two defending Grey Cup champions. Yep. So they were going, they were going for the three peat this year, and <clears throat> the Ticats stood in the way. It was at the Big O. I thought that uh, Bakari Grant had a tremendous performance in that game. The standout moment was the uh, over-the-shoulder reaching touchdown grab, uh, the pass from Kevin Glenn. That's what stands out to me. Those other moments are, are great, but uh, that was a big moment for me, you know, getting past the dreaded Montreal Alouettes who had been so dominant for so many years to win that game and Bakari Grant to uh, add to it so much. Um, that's the one that stands out for me. Same one here, man. So I looked it up. He was he had seven catches for 130 yards and a touchdown. That that was his rookie season, too. By the way, I think he had something like 580 receiving yards that year. It was a, an all-time CFL classic. 52-44 Ticats win in overtime. You mentioned the touchdown catch. He also had the catch that set up the game-winning touchdown. He had another brilliant over-the-shoulder catch that Kevin Glenn just put in an awesome spot. Got him down to about the five-yard line. I think two plays later, Quentin Porter snuck it in for what would be the game-winning touchdown. And I think this is something that's been lost a little bit in some of the more recent success of the Ticats, but that 2011 East semifinal win in Montreal was the first Ticats playoff win in a decade. The last time before that that they had won a playoff game was 2001. So to do that, to have that performance, to, to be a part of that team that finally got that monkey off their back, to do it against the two-time defending champs and three-time defending East champs, because let's not forget, in 2008, they went to the Grey Cup as well, losing to the Calgary Stampeders. It was it was definitely the, the one, it was like it was sort of his coming out party, if, if, if that makes sense. I remember that, that year, there was a lot of talk of the Ticats need to add some size to their receiving core. They need to get some, some size out there. They need some big bodies. And they brought in Bakari Grant and Aaron Kelly. And there was always this, which is going to be the guy... Bakari Grant obviously obviously became sort of the, the guy that, that stood the test of time. And the other the other moment, and this didn't happen as a member of the Ticats, but the other moment that, that really made me happy was last year, him getting a chance to win a Grey Cup. Uh, I wish it would have been with the Ticats, but for a guy like him, sort of a, a meat and potatoes guy that I think he played for three teams in the CFL, Hamilton, Saskatchewan, and Calgary, and I think he's beloved in all three cities. So to, to see him win a ring that was uh even if it wasn't with with the black and gold it was it was still nice to see him get that moment yeah and we'll just forget that we had that little spat on twitter we'll just put that behind us you had a spat on twitter yeah i remember i, I said that he wouldn't fit uh, june jones's offense and there people were trying to bring him in oh that's so, right yeah but you know that was just my opinion it wasn't any hard feelings towards him so water under the it's bridge. all good water under the bridge Yes. Let's talk about the West final. I guess I've kind of uh, whatever the reverse of bury the lead is, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers went into Mosaic Stadium and beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 20 to 13 to win the West. They are the first three seed in either the East or West to make it to the Grey Cup since 2005 when Edmonton did it. I missed the first half of this game, which apparently was a good thing because the first half was apparently not very interesting. But I did get to check the second half, and obviously that ending was as tense as as it could be. But the Bombers did it behind Zach Caleros, behind Chris Strebler. They, they got this win. Mike, what were some of your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it was a bit of a slow first half. You know, the, the Bombers went into the half, you know, 11-3 lead. Um it's just interesting, you know, Chris Drebler, let's see, he had four rushes for only 10 yards, so he wasn't as big a factor as he was um, in the semifinal against Calgary. Um, Zach had an okay game, you know, 17 to 25, 68%, 267 yards and a touchdown, but they they did enough, you know. I think that the injury to Fajardo was a uh, was a pretty big factor in this game, even though he had 366 yards passing, um, one interception. I thought William Powell might have been a bigger factor in this one. You know, only eight carries for him. Uh, good, but uh, good on the Bombers. You know, it's it's been a while. Now we have the Bombers versus the Tie Cats, uh, <clears throat> the two longest Great Cup, um, not streaks, but uh, Drugs. winless streaks. Drugs is the word I, get, I was looking for. Thank you, Josh. It's dr- the uh, I'm in the CFL. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's going to be exciting to watch. You know, Bombers, obviously, 1990, Ticats, 1999. So 
this is the this is the matchup we predicted at the at the beginning of the season, and this is the matchup we're getting. But I don't think any of us would have predicted that this is the road that both no. teams would have taken. If I mean, I, I go back into the archives and listen to the episode we did post Jeremiah Mazzoli getting hurt, where they beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers rather handily after Mazzoli went out. I imagine we're not. We're not as confident that the Ticats are going to make it to the Grey Cup. I, I don't know if we said the season was over, but we were definitely in a somber mood. It was not the first time you and I have done a podcast after our starting quarterback went down with a knee injury. And for the Bombers, Zach Caleros leads them to a Grey Cup. I mean, no one would have predicted that at the beginning of the year because he wasn't on the team. No, definitely not. It's uh, It's definitely a good story. You know, the media will have a lot. To talk about going into this Grey Cup, you know, the Zach coming back against his former team, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and he beat a former team in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to get into the Grey Cup. Uh, yeah, I thought it would be Matt Nichols, you know, in the Grey Cup with the, with the Bombers, not Zach Caleros, that's for sure. How pissed do you think Rider fans have to be? The Bombers now have the first win ever at the new Mosaic Stadium. They won the first playoff game there, which was last year's West semifinal. And now they've won the first West final ever hosted there. I mean, the Grey Cup's there next year. Should we just all put our money on the Bombers to win that too? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they've uh, they've had great success in that new stadium. And they're just going to make the rivalry even more intense going into next year. I, I, I see. Uh, I for, for see that coming. They, I could speak. I, they've I won two that. playoff games at Mosaic Stadium. They haven't won any at Investors Group Field. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? It's really I mean, strange. Both, both uh, around the same capacity, both huge home field advantages. So it's a it's a very strange thing. Yeah, it's uh, it w- it was the Grey Cup that most of us predicted, but like I said, I don't think it's it's the path that we expected either team to take to get there. All right, so before we talk about the upcoming Grey Cup, the 2019 Grey Cup, we have a special guest. We don't do guests a lot on here, but it is, it's it's nice to have someone who has a little experience with the Ticats and winning championships. Back in 1999, our esteemed guest here was in the locker room with the Ticats after they won the Cup in Vancouver. So, Mike, I'm going to hand this off to you and let you take it away. Why don't you introduce everyone to our special guest this week? Our guest is a personal friend of mine, uh, Mr. Mick Ozzy. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, good, mate, and uh, congratulations, both of you guys, on Tiger Cats getting to the Grey Cup. That's fantastic. Uh, thanks. We appreciate that. You can find Mick on his website, totalcfl.com. Uh, he has his own movie, A Football Fan Frenzy. Uh, you check it out there. He's on Twitter. At Mick Ozzy, all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, you can find him. He also does appearances on uh, Gabe Morenci's show uh, weekly. Uh, I believe it's called The Morning After. Is that correct, Mick? Yeah, it's called The Morning After. It's on the Fantasy Sports Network based in New York. So I uh, talk CFL whenever I can, but obviously a lot of NFL talk this time of year, then Aussie footy and CFL when I can, as I said. All right, perfect. So we had you on here to talk about a little bit of the 99 Grey Cup. Uh, the last time the Tiger Cats won it, you had your had your camera with you, and you have footage inside the Tiger Cats locker room. Just tell us a little bit about that Grey Cup and how you managed to uh, get in the winning team's locker room after the game. Oh, it was fantastic. It was my first ever Grey Cup. I got to Vancouver a year before. I'd done a bit of media work with my buddy in uh, South Australia. We interviewed Greg Norman. So I got the media pass and I uh, made the most of it. The awards night was fantastic. Mike Philbrook and Mike Campbell, they were funny. Met a lot of players at the awards night and then the whole weekend. And, yeah, my media pass said, uh, like, all the all the areas except the lot of locker rooms. But, of course... I walked in and got in and had a great time in the locker rooms as well. So it was a great time, and it's your fault. I'm still here, still in Canada 20 years later because I had so much fun. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was. Uh, so that was your first Grey Cup game. It was it was great cup, great Grey Cup game for Hamilton Tiger Cat fans. 
not exactly the closest game in the world, but who were some of the players you got to interview after the game? You mentioned Phil Brick and uh, Mike Campbell, but uh, who else? Yeah, I was in the uh, press conference when Danny McManus was up there with the Grey Cup and Mike Morielli. And in the movie, you can see me. I'm walking along chatting to Mike Morielli and Danny McManus is in front of us. And I actually got friends with Mike Morielli after that. I uh, met him in Pro Bowl and had chats with him and Jeff Garcia and Terrell Owens in Pro Bowl. And I even went to Mike Morielli's bar after a Labor Day game in Hamilton I think it was Filthy McNasties or something like that. So yeah, gave him yeah. a yeah, gave him a, a video way back then and got friends with him. So yeah, he's a great guy, Mike Morelli. Right on, right on. So you came to Canada about twenty years ago. Was that your first CFL game? Tell us a little bit how you got into the into the CFL. Yeah, I love this story because I moved in. I had a really good job managing a computer company in Vancouver, and I moved in with a couple of lads from Toronto. And they, they like too many out that way, they were dissing the CFL. But in 1998, the uh, Halloween game, it was Calgary versus BC Lions. I got a free ticket and went with a couple of buddies. And it was fantastic. Damon Allen at quarterback versus Jeff Garcia. And I just turned around. I said to these guys, why are you dissing the CFL? This is so much fun. People were dressed up, had a great time and... Uh, yeah, the next year started going to some games. So that's my introduction to CFL Garcia versus Damon Allen, two of the great CFL quarterbacks. And it was a shootout. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's a, that's a good game to, to catch for your first one, I'd say. So you've been a BC Lion fan uh, since then, I assume. How, how did you feel about the performance this year? Not so, not so hot, eh? Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty average. I mean, looking back, some people thought BC might finish uh, top in the West and the Riders bottom. Well, it was nowhere near that. A brutal start. My girlfriend thinks it's calm because I'm sitting here in Edmonton at her place and uh, she was a Mike Riley fan, but not anymore. She was pretty dirty that Mike Riley left. But yeah, they obviously spent a lot of money on him and they couldn't get that O-line going at all until later in the year. But disappointed, Claybrooks got fired. I was a bit upset with that. I thought they should have given him a, a second year at coach, but hopefully we bounce back. And yes, I've stuck in danger if you have to. And BC Lions is always my number yeah, I think they'll. Uh, I was surprised at that uh, coaching firing as well. I think they'll. I think they'll have a back, bounce back season next year. But uh, since the Grey Cup is so close, uh, we wanted to get some your prediction on the big game. So, who do you think is going to win this year? Is it going to be the Blue Bombers or our Tiger Cats? Oh, I think you never know. The weather's looking good. Six and seven degrees earlier in the week and about plus two on Sunday. So the weather shouldn't be a factor. I think it's going to be really close. Now, the Tiger Cats are minus three favourite. I think that's probably about right. I think Tiger Cats will win by about that. Maybe in overtime, I think it could be that close. So my bets will probably be Tiger Cats on the money line. And I might take the Bombers at plus three because I really think it could be a close game. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one, you know, with, with the Bombers and uh, Caleros, you know, coming back for his revenge like he got last week on the on the Rough Riders, coming to try to do it to the Tiger Cats. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, when, are, when are you leaving for the Grey Cup? Because I know you're going to be there for the weekend. Yeah, mate, at this stage we're leaving Thursday morning. Might even get talked into going down Wednesday night, but it's kind of a three or four days of uh, partying. So I think starting Thursday will be enough for me at the Spirit of Edmonton. That's always the Thursday night get-together with a lot of the regulars. So that should be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, again, should be good. And I'm looking forward to it this year in Calgary. It's set up at the Stampede Grounds, which is different. And it looks like that could be a nice setup with everything all around together and all the pavilions and the grounds down there in Calgary Stampede. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some things on Twitter, how they're setting it up. It looks looks really cool. It sounds like all the team parties are going to be close together. So, yeah, it's going to be a great time, I think. So uh, with that, we'll end this interview. But uh, you want to give out where we can find you again? I know I gave a little uh, spiel at the start, but uh, just give out all your information, Mick. 
Well, CFL latest, so total CFL, that's total as you spell it, CFL.com, MikeAussie.tv, MikeAussie.com, it's M-Y-K-A-U-S-S-I-E, you'll find me everywhere, and uh, this will be my 14th Grey Cup Festival, so looking forward to it again as always. So we're going to be doing some videos at uh, Grey Cup, you think, to add to your website? Oh, yes, we'll be doing lots and lots and lots. And actually today I just filled in an application for a big event in Banff, the uh, big media festival in Banff next year to try and uh, present there and maybe eventually sell the movie I've got. If not, uh, get some money to make a new one and uh, aiming for next year Regina to really go hard making a big new one. But, yeah, I'll be filming this year as always, mate. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you're always filming. All right, buddy, we, re- we appreciate the time. All right, good luck and uh, see you in Calgary and good luck on Sunday, guys. Yeah, thanks okay. a lot, Mick, for coming on. And thank you for keeping Mike alive during those uh, Edmonton games at Commonwealth. There would be no show without him, <laughs> so I definitely appreciate that. All right, he's a bad influence on me, though. Oh, same here. <laughs> he's later, a horrible boy. influence on me. <laughs> see you later, boys. Thanks, right, exactly. buddy. Take care. So I'd just like to – Thank uh, Mick for coming on again to share some stories about being in the locker room with the Ticats when the last won the Grey Cup. But that was 20 years ago. This is now. Let's do – so let, let's, you know, lay everything out there. This is not the only episode of Potsky Wee Wee you're going to get this week. Mike and I have agreed that on Friday he and I are going to sit down, him hopefully not too hungover after reveling in the Grey Cup revelry on Thursday night. We are going to record a very thorough, very in-depth Grey Cup preview talking about the game. We're going to break it down offensively, defensively, by position. Like we're go- It's going to be probably a 30 to 40-minute episode. I mean, now I'm putting pressure on us to actually, actually deliver such a long – but we're going, to, we're going to go very in-depth on the game. But we didn't want to leave you with nothing here this week or on, on this earlier episode of the show talking about the game. So let's do a little sort of like a, our quick – early week thoughts on this game coming up Mike with a simple question as of today on Monday night how are you feeling about the Ticats chances on Sunday well to be honest I, I was feeling pretty good whether we played Winnipeg or Saskatchewan going into that West final um, I like this matchup I think that the Ticats have a better offense and on defense I think they're quite compar- comparable so um, I'm going to have to get the early edge. I'm leaning towards the Ticats. I know a big shocker there. Yeah, I know Mick said that the Ticats are, are plus three and that he's expecting a close game and to maybe even take the Bombers on the point spread. I I would advise him to, to maybe save his money. I, I said a week ago that I thought they'd win by 20. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be that bold this week. We'll, we'll get predictions out of us later in the week, but... Uh, Here's how I look at it. The last time these two teams played, Hamilton went into Winnipeg and beat them 33 to 13. The different that this Hamilton team is essentially the same, except with Luke Tasker added, maybe Cam Marshall instead of Terrell Sutton in the backfield. But to me, Marshall Sutton, they're very similar players. I don't think you lose much or gain much, regardless of who's in the backfield. But adding Tasker to the receiving core, I think, is is a big boon for the Ticats. The difference for Winnipeg is, is Zach Caleros, and it was Chris Drevler that started the game back in uh, whenever that was, mid-September, and it's it's Zach Caleros now. So my question is this, this and this is the question I will pose to anyone who thinks the Bombers are going to win this game. Is Zach Caleros worth 21 points? Is Does Zach Caleros make the Bombers 21 points better than they were two months ago? No offense to Zach Caleros, but I don't think so. I, I, I was the same way. I literally sat and watched the second half of the West Final with my dad, and I said to him, he we're, we're watching it. It's getting and it's like, well, he's like, oh, who do you want? Who do you want to win? And I was like, to be honest with you, like I kind of wanted Winnipeg to win. I picked them, and you know, Winnipeg Hamilton, that the, the the drought bowl is a good story. But I said to him, I said, you know what? I it doesn't matter. I don't think either of these teams are going to come close to, to touching Hamilton. And and of course, anything can happen. And I put my foot in my mouth before about thinking about games like this and and making these sort of proclamations, but. There is nothing over the course of this season, nothing that we saw this past Sunday in the East Final, and nothing that we've seen from Winnipeg that that tells me that that this game is is even remotely worrisome. Anything can happen. Yep. We, yep. Look, the Calgary yep. Stampeders 
running away with everything, lost a couple of great cups. I get it. It can happen. I don't, there's no reason not to feel supremely confident in the Ticats going into this one. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, that on paper, they are uh, the much better team. It's just the, to get down to brass tacks, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers don't, don't scare me. Okay, if it was the Stampeders in Calgary, I would be a lot more nervous. Yep. But, uh, you know, I'm sure the Bombers fans will travel well and they'll probably have the advantage in the crowd. But I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Um, the Tiger Cats are just the better team and they should win this game. I, I agree. I The only matchup, and I said this at the beginning of the playoffs, the only matchup that worried me about the Ticats and the Grey Cup was playing a Stampeders team at home. That was it. And this is no disrespect to the Riders, who are now out, or the Bombers, who they will play on Sunday. They're, they're good football teams. Winnipeg won 11-7. and seven. They're good football teams. Zach Caleros makes them a little bit better than they were the last two times these teams met. But not better enough to actually win this game. I... I know we're going to save our predictions until later in the week, but I guess we've kind of laid our cards on the table here. Yeah. I, I think a week from now, Mike, you and I are sitting here with grins on our faces celebrating the first Grey Cup in Hamilton, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have had since in 20 years. I really do. Yeah, I, I think that way too. Uh, I, I really have a lot of confidence in this team. They've shown it all season long that they can get the job done against any team in this league. And, uh, it's not going to change going into Sunday against the Bombers. No, and I don't want to hear anything about Ticats fans being cocky or overconfident or any of that nonsense because, well, I guess, yeah, maybe that's true. Is there a reason not to be? Like, I will listen to any argument anyone wants to make about why we shouldn't look at this game as the Ticats winning by two scores. You know what I mean? Like, give me a reason why Winnipeg will win this football game and, and why – we should think that they're better than Hamilton. I just, I just don't see it. I, the evidence from the season that we watched play out, what we've seen from Hamilton all year, what we saw from them on Sunday against Edmonton, who everyone was riding high on Edmonton coming into this game. They played lights out in the East semifinal, and everyone was just like, man, maybe, maybe they can do it. Maybe they can do it. That Edmonton had those T-shirts. Why not us? And and I refrain from saying it, but I, I, it took every part of my willpower. Not to say, why not us? Because us. Because the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2019 are far and away the best football team in Canada. And I think it's going to play that way out on Sunday. But if, if, if you're yeah. out there, if you're out there and you, and you want to you wanna come at me and you want give me some solid reasons why we should take Winnipeg even remotely coming close in this game. And I will listen. Yeah, that three point spread is. is uh, That's is, way too uh, low, way too low. Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, take Hamilton on that all day long. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting, you know, leading up to the game. And, you know, they've had that dual quarterback system put in place with Straveler, but you're not surprising anymore, anybody anymore with that, I think. As soon as Straveler's in the game, the Ticats are going to think, run, run, run. So, uh, unless, unless they pull out something and he throws a long pass, but I, I just don't see it happening. I think that defenses have recognized what they're doing and uh, the Ticats will, will put in the work, put in the plan to shut down that dual quarterback threat. We'll get into the Strevler of it all. We'll get into the Dane Evans of it all, the Andrew Harris of it all, Zach Caleros, Willie Jefferson. When we're back on Friday, yes, I said it earlier and I said it again, you get us twice this week. We are going to give you a massive Grey Cup preview covering pretty much anything you could possibly want to know mike will also tell us a little bit about his adventures in calgary and share with us his experience as our tiger cats representative on the live two and out cfl podcast show that goes down thursday thursday afternoon in calgary yeah thursday at 2 30 2 30 calgary time but i believe 2 30 calgary time yes which so that would be 4 30 here in hamilton if you're a tiger cats fan you listen to us i believe the two and out CFL podcast Twitter account, which I believe is at to an out CFL podcast. You know what? I'll, I'll make sure that I, I tweet out the link. They're going to be doing a, a live stream of it. So if you can't be there in Calgary and want to see Mike go up there and who are you, uh, who are you debating with on this game? Who's, who's, who's the Winnipeg representative? Do you know? That's a good question. I was wondering that myself. I need to find that out. Um, 
<clears throat> I don't want to throw any, any names out there because I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm sure whoever they get will be a, a strong uh, debate candidate. I'm sure it will be, but Mike will be out there. We'll tweet out the link to the live show so that you can watch it. I'll be watching it. I'll be cheering Mike on from from uh, from wherever I may be watching it. But, uh, Mike, this is the week that we have been waiting for since we started the show way back in 2015. Are you ready? Are you ready for a Ticats breakup appearance? I've been ready since the last one in 2014. So, you know, we don't have to drag up what happened there, but it's, it was heartbreaking. And uh, I'm ready to see the Tiger Cats hoist the Grey Cup once again. Me too, man. Me too. So that was Podski Wee Wee. Not for this week, but for this half of the week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.